Turn to 1 Timothy. For several generations leading up to the 1960s, I think all of you know this, the leading soft drink in our nation was Coca-Cola, okay? And it, it really had a clear shot. There was no competition. And uh, there, was a, there was a competitor by the name of Pepsi, and Pepsi was just, you know, we are tired of just getting kicked every single time by Coke. And if we cannot persuade people this older generation away from Coca-Cola products, especially their, their flagship one, what we're going to do is we're going to brand our Pepsi as the Pepsi for a new generation. In fact, they called it the Pepsi generation. You want the old folks Coke? You can go ahead and have them, but we're going to go and target the young people. and We're going to start what is called the Pepsi generation. And they had a huge advertising campaign. It was all in with this. And boy, they were, they were making success. They had little taste tests going everywhere. And they had people convinced that the Pepsi generation had arrived. And if you really want to be it and hip, you got to have what? You got to have Pepsi, man, out of this Coke stuff, right? Coke was getting a little nervous there. They saw their market shares following. And so they decided we're going to take this head on. People seem to like this Pepsi, or at least they like their advertising slogan. We're going to do something about it. And so they did. And April 23rd, 1985, we just had an anniversary on this. This was one of the most significant dates in business history. Because on this particular date, Coke rolled out its new product. In fact, it took an, its old formula, set that aside, and they had a reformulation of its classic, and they called it New Coke. Now, they had done a lot of research. They had done all these little hidden little taste tests, and they had New Coke and Pepsi, and people generally preferred New Coke. And so they said, that's it. We're going to do it. So April 23rd, 1985, this 99-year-old company decided we're done with the, the old formula. We're introducing the new one. We're going to take this Pepsi generation on head on. And so they did. What they didn't realize is that there would going to be a huge uproar. You see, New Coke tasted a lot like old Pepsi, all right? And, they, and what they didn't realize is there's going to be this huge backlash. And for three months, Coke just took a beating by the public. They, had, they received thousands and thousands of phone calls. They received over 40,000 letters. They had just reams and reams of bad press about what they were doing. And so finally, after three months, Coke made what, after the most significant marketing blunder of all time, they made what is considered now by marketing geniuses as perhaps the most genius move in marketing in history. They went and publicly apologized to the nation. And what they said was that they realize now that Coca-Cola was an American classic. And so what they did is they loaded up all the trucks with the, all the old formula Coca-Cola, and they got it all back into the stores there. They, their market shares all went back up. Coke went up. The classic Coke went back up to number one. And uh, they still had this their new Coke. That wasn't doing so well. People hated it and despised it, so then they called it eventually Coke 2, and eventually it just kind of disappears. And what they learned was that you don't mess with a classic. You don't take what is considered an institution, and just because of popular demand and there is a new generation kind of wanting a new product, that you change a classic formula. And the moral of the story is this. Don't mess with a classic. 
Now, Coca-Cola, I know you're all real thirsty right now, okay? I mean, how can you not be, right? Coca-Cola is one thing. But Christianity is on a completely different level. And the problem, as we're going through the book of 1 Timothy, is that people were starting to mess with the classic, the one true authentic faith revealed by God to his apostles, to the people. And what they were doing is, as we've been going through the book of First Timothy, you'll recall, they were taking Judaism and they were taking these Jewish practices and they were applying it to Christianity. And they, it was coming up with a new Christianity. The problem with the new Christianity is that it tasted a whole lot like old Judaism with their rules and their laws and their regulations. And it is for this exact reason that Paul is writing a letter to Timothy and and telling him, you've got to address this. Now, let me just tell you, in my estimation, classic Christianity is taking a huge hit. The idea of even taking Jewish practices and ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law and artificially transferring them into New Testament faith, failing to realize that Christ has accomplished those things. We now live under grace and under what the law and the love of Christ. Well, we have people now thinking you've got to follow practices of the Old Testament. Furthermore, legalism, the idea that one man or an institution can start dictating the behavior of individuals and doing so in such a way that people feel compelled that they've got to follow this, why, that's actually gaining traction, as lethal as that is. And we have emerging churches that are sprouting up, and they are actually reinventing Christianity. They are taking classic Christianity And they're even adopting and pulling different forms of it out of church history. But they're assigning new meetings and they're redefining what it means to be a Christian. And we are facing now a culture that is completely confused as what does it mean to really follow Christ? What is the gospel? What is the essence of classic Christianity? Paul was writing to Timothy, and let me just tell you, any time you've got erosion of the one true faith taking place in your church, I mean, it is devastating. And for Timothy, he wanted out. In fact, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, I urge you upon my departure to for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. You've got a job to do. The faith is under attack. I know you're discouraged. I know you're taking a beating. I know that it is gaining traction and popularity for people to adopt legalistic forms, the law, and imposing that into the Christian faith. But Timothy, you have got to be in the game. This is no time to pull out of the fight. And so that's what you find in chapter 1. He's actually telling him, listen, the law has a purpose, and that purpose is to lead people to Christ, to show their sinfulness, to show their great need for Christ, it is not to adopt these practices to somehow think that that infuses you with vitality in the Christian life. And so if you're wanting to know what is the essence of Christianity, what is 100% classic faith, then you want to pay real close attention to 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12 through verse 17. You'll notice Paul said at verse 11, 
When he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted, just by the word gospel, it brings to mind the great need of classic Christianity. And so he's going to spell it out of what does this really look like in verses 12 through 17. These verses are so important that if you don't have a good handle of them, it's likely that you're going to find yourself easily trapped up into legalistic patterns or thinking you've got to follow certain rules or regulations. This pattern that you find here in verse 12 through 17 in chapter 1, it tells you not only how you share your testimony of how you actually came to know Christ and what life looks like in him, but these are the words that you want to go back to when you want to recalibrate your life. And you're going to find that the Christian learns to daily refocus his life upon Christ. And you're not going to find a better text than the one we're looking at today. So how does Christ really change our lives? So let me just tell you to begin with, Christ is the one who strengthens us for his service. So Paul, you see this in verse 11, when he references the glorious gospel, verse 12 he starts highlighting the fact that it is Christ who strengthens us for his service. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. You don't want to miss. I mean, Paul is just like he is such a good mentor. He's a great discipler. Do you see what he says in verse 12? He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, not mine, but ours. We're in this together. He's my Lord and he's your Lord. Let me show you, Timothy, how you recalibrate your life. Are you you facing frustration? Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Let me show you classic Christianity to get your life back on track so that you're going to keep your head in the game and do the ministry which you're called to. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. When he says Christ, he's speaking the fact that Christ is the promised Messiah, this king, this anointed one who is eternal God, who will be the one who will take away our sins. And when he references Jesus, he references the fact that this eternal son of God entered into humanity. He even has a human name, Jesus, the God man. And when he refers to him as Lord, he references the fact that he is supremely God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has done what? He has strengthened me. He literally, by grace, gives me vitality for service. I find my joy, my peace, my understanding, my identity in Christ. He's the one that allows me to push through the difficulties I face. Now, when he's referencing the fact that Christ is the one who strengthened him, this isn't theory. This is going to be a big difference maker for you. You and I need to learn to go to Christ to find strength in life. Paul had learned this. Remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? He's writing in jail. I don't know what your attitude would be like in jail. I can't imagine what mine would be. You know what Paul's was? Paul writes, I can do all things through what? Through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Let me tell you, life is going to throw you a lot of curveballs. It's going to be hard. You're going to strike out. You're going to fall on your face. It is difficult. You're going to take a pounding. I spoke to a bunch of college students this week, 
And I mean, they're, they're just all glowing. You know, they're all just excited, man. Life is pumped up. And I told them, man, I wish I could spare you the realities of hardship in life, but I can't. And you're going to need to find strength, not in of yourselves, but strength in Christ. Even at the end of his life, Paul says, you know, everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood with me and what? Strengthened me. It is Christ who strengthens us. You know what classic Christianity is? It is finding your strength in Christ. Or like he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. If you try to follow legalistic standards in order to attain spiritual vitality, that leads to death, discouragement, depression, because the law can't give you vitality. You know what you and I need? We need Christ. That is why the Christian message is to always point people to Jesus. If you try to convince people that they've got to perform and do certain things and jump through certain hoops in order to have spiritual vitality, that you impose law upon them, what in essence you are doing is you are appealing to a standard and a source that can't deliver. That is why when people tell me about some of the legalistic patterns that they come from, from maybe other churches or that they've grown up with, I I actually try to warn them and I tell them that legalism is actually lethal. It'll make you real sick. And that's what's happening. These people were entering into the Christian faith here in uh, Ephesus, and they were imposing the law's demands. They're like, that's great that you're a Christian saved by grace. Great. Good thing about Jesus. We really want to experience all of life, so you know what we need to do? We need to follow the Old Testament. I mean, Right? That's what Jesus was doing, so we need to follow it. And they start imposing that. But you've got it happening today where you've got people that will legislate how much time you need to spend in the Bible. And anything short of that, I don't know about that, your time in prayer. How many times you show up in a church? Do you know in our community, we've got people that can actually tell a group of individuals how many times they need to show up in their church. You know what that is, don't you? That's the very same thing that Paul is addressing here. It's legalism. It's imposing a law. It is not classic Christianity. Any time that you create a man-made system and you start imposing it upon other people, you've got yourself a big problem. We are under grace, under Christ, not under some sort of man-made laws. And so he says, let me tell you, it's not the law that gives you vitality by you doing these things where you've got strength for life. It's Christ. It's him. And he'll strengthen you. You simply turn your eyes to Jesus. Say, God, whatever state you're in, man, you're pretty happy, you're pretty wiped out, discouraged, or actually rather joyful about your situation. Lord, be my strength and my rock. Bless the Lord, O oh my, remember that from last week? Soul and all that is with me. The Christian learns to orient their life upon God. Classic Christianity is that Christ is the one who strengthens us for his service. Let me tell you something else about how Christ really changes our lives. You'll find it here in the next few verses, in verses 13 through 15. It is Christ who saves us from our sinfulness. Look what he said. Paul's saying, Timothy, let me take you back. Let me give you my testimony. Let me remind you 
of what Christ has done in my life. Verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, and to be a blasphemer is one who slanders God. And he says, and a persecutor. The, a persecutor has the idea that you chase someone down, kind of like a hunter chasing an animal. Paul says, that was me. And then furthermore, he says, and a violent aggressor. I didn't just put, it in, put my hatred into words. I actually put it into action. Perhaps he was thinking back to the time where he was collecting warm-up jackets when they were throwing rocks at Stephen, the first martyr, and watched him die. He, perhaps he thought of the incidences where he literally took a mom or a dad out of their home because they were professing faith in Christ as the Messiah, and he ripped them away from their families and had them incarcerated with the idea that they would die in jail or they'd face a worse treatment. And Paul says, you know what? This is what the law did. Me trying to follow the law, it blinded me to the reality of my own sinfulness. And that's what legalism does. It gets you fixed upon trying to follow rules and regulations, and it blinds you to the true spiritual condition that you have that can only be satisfied, met, and cured by Christ. And Paul is saying, this is who I was. I was formerly these things, and yet, verse 13, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I didn't know that my focus upon the law and establishing a righteousness, trying to approve myself to God, in actuality blinded me to my own spiritual condition. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Jesus was really indeed the Messiah. I, I thought I was doing the right thing because, after all, He's claiming to be God, and there's only one true God, and, and I simply wasn't going to believe that it, Jesus was a part of the us when God said in Genesis 1 and, and Genesis 2, Let, let's make man in our image. I refused to believe that. And so I blasphemed him. I persecuted him. I was a violent aggressor. I took it out on his people, and I thought I was doing God a favor. I thought by following the law that, in fact, my zeal would lead to life and vitality. And you see, the real intent of the law, friends, is to expose us to our own sinfulness and point us to the need for Christ. How are you doing on the Ten Commandments? Anybody here batting a thousand on that? I'd like to see. Come on. Really? Because, uh, Really? You guys are all failing on that. Me too, huh? Why? Because we're fallen. We are actually spiritually dead apart from Christ. And we cannot keep the law. And so what it does is it brings us to our knees and says, God, help me, because it's very evident that I'm a huge sinner. I am corrupt morally, ethically. I do things with my life and with my mouth and with my mind that simply are in a violation of who you've made me as someone who's created in your image. I offend your holiness daily. I need salvation. And that's what Paul said. You know, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I simply didn't know. And then look at verses 14 and 15. Wow. And he says, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Literally, it was super abundant. God's grace toward me was far more than you and I could ever imagine. He says, with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. 
God gives faith and he gives love. He literally wants to change you from the inside out. So he'll give you faith and love. And where are they found? Where are these things found? In Christ. And then probably one of the great statements of the New Testament about who is this Jesus? It is a trustworthy statement, verse 15, deserving full acceptance. This is like Paul's way of saying, absolutely pay attention to this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. The reason Christ came into the world was to do what? To save sinners. Now, to be a sinner, it means literally to miss the mark. And yes, we oftentimes think of some of the really vile things that are out there. Like murder, right? Adultery. Really bad things. But let me tell you, to miss the mark, it comes in every stripe and flavor. You and I were made by God for God. And we are designed to find our joy, our life, our contentment, our peace, our hope, our identity in him. And every time we go after something else, every time we want to try to like, man, it's all about my motorcycle or it's all about my car or my house or my job or my or how I'm doing with school or about that. This girl now likes me or whatever. When every time you get your focus and try to squeeze what life out of something that can't offer it. And you're like, this becomes my modern day idol. You sin. And it may look very acceptable in our society. But anytime we're finding our hope and our peace, our joy and our forgiveness and our purpose apart from Christ, it's sin. It's actually much broader than you and I might imagine. And Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. If we are intellectually honest, all of us, are great sinners. We all, all try to find life apart from God. And the difference between all world religions and Christianity is this. All world religions, including Judaism, are appealing to God by man's good behavior, or perhaps they're actually doing things to their body or their life, painful though they may be, to earn God's favor to free themselves because there's this yearning to connect with God. All world religions except Christianity where God came down and rescued man. All of them fail. Christ succeeds. He does what only God could do. He becomes the substitution for us. He literally pays the penalty of our sin. And as the perfect lamb of God, he can satisfy God's wrath against sin. And you and I can have life. And that, my friends, is classic Christianity. It's not you doing things or you just showing up and being this social good cause. It's, it's you knowing Christ and trusting in Christ alone and having him change you from the inside out. Paul understood this and he said, you know what? It's a trustworthy statement, verse 15, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm foremost of all. I've missed it completely. But now I see, and I see who Christ is, and I'm trusting him. Friends, until you and I see ourselves as sinners, guess what? We will never see our need for a Savior. So that would be the wrong thing to do is just tell you guys, 
you're all very wonderful, nothing bad. Maybe you make a few mistakes. Have you ever noticed how that's really becoming the in vogue term? I made a mistake. Yeah, you shot someone. Yeah, that was a mistake, right? We don't call sin, sin anymore. But if you are going to have a savior, you have to identify and see that indeed you are sinful. See things as they really are, not some sort of mirage, some sort of facade. But when we see Christ for who he is and ourselves for who we are, then we've entered into classic Christianity and we experience the joy of salvation. Let me give you one other thing about how Christ really changes our lives and what classic Christianity really is all about. Christ is the one who strengthens us for his service. Christ is the one who saves us from our sinfulness. But let me just point out one other thing. Christ sets us apart for his purposes. Let me show you verse 16 and 17. Notice what he says. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. He says, I found mercy. God was merciful to me and gracious for this reason. He planned on using my life as an example of someone who really believes in Christ. And friends, that is the purpose of every believer. It is not just that, Great, you believe these truths about Christ, you're running into heaven, just kind of float through here, try not to make a huge mess of your life, and then you're going to die and we're going to get you into heaven. God has a reason for you to be on this earth. Whether you're a student in school, whether you're a mom at home, whether you're in the workforce, whether you are retired, the purpose is, is that your life will serve as an example of what salvation looks like, what it means to know Christ and to grow in Christ. The word pattern which comes from a printing trade. It means the, literally the first proof. Do you know what we need in our schools today? Do you know what we need in this community, in our world? We need classic Christianity on display. People need to see the real thing. They need to see Christ at work in your life. And so that's what Paul is saying. You know what? The reason that I have experienced salvation is so that God is going to demonstrate through my life. And Paul wasn't perfect. Sometimes we get the idea that, man, once Paul became a Christian, after he was blinded, came to Christ, he lived a perfect life here on out. Actually not. You can read through the book of Acts. And he had some heated conversations. Galatians records another one. No, he was very much like you and I. God did choose to actually in certain times, have him, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write out Holy Scripture, one of those letters we're reading today. But he was a man like you and I. But he had found his strength in Christ, and he understood his purpose in life, and that is to serve as an example. And that's what Christ does. He sets us apart for his purpose. And that, you need to know, you've got a purpose in life. You may not realize it, but I'm here to inform you on the basis of Scripture. God didn't save Paul or you to get you out of hell or so you could get into heaven. Uh, it wasn't that Paul was saved so he could write the gospel uh, or preach it or write some of these epistles. No, the primary reason that God saved Paul 
was to demonstrate his power to bring salvation to the worst of sinners. Really, salvation is far more about God and his glory. The effects that we have are actually residual, that we know joy and peace and forgiveness and we have life. But those are actually secondary to the fact that God glorifies himself by taping people like me and you, wretched though we be, brings us to a point where we see that we're spiritually dead, that we come and trust Christ. He actually gives us the faith to do it, and he gives us life in him. You know what? That, my friends, God is glorified, and that is classic Christianity. So if God can take a murderer and turn him into a missionary, I guarantee you he can transform your life. Faith is taking God at his word. He can do it. He's got a track record of doing it. And so Paul says, you know what? My life is an example. And we learn best by being in close contact with a holy example. Don't we? I find that I learn best by seeing it in action in the life of another person. It is one of the reasons why the New Testament stresses discipleship. We're a little bit more mature believers are investing in the lives of others. It's so that the younger believer can see a clear example of what it means to follow Christ in your job, in your home, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when it seems like the wheels are coming off the cart, when things are going good. How do you respond? How do you see Christ at the center of your life? How do you recalibrate your life? How do you answer these questions? How do you deal with these difficulties? It is classic Christianity that puts you face to face with living examples. And so Paul says, you know what? I understand that Christ is demonstrating his perfect patience in me as an example of those who would believe, which is the only condition for you to truly know Christ, to believe in him for eternal life. Let me just tell you, the more you and I focus on Christ, the more we experience him changing our lives. And I I want you to see the Christ-centered orientation of his life. Look at verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the king of all the ages. He is immortal. He is incorruptible. He's invisible. Yes, he made appearances in the Old Testament. Yes, he appeared in visible form as Christ makes Jesus enters into humanity. But he is invisible. Yet he is visible through his people. And do you see the orientation of Paul? It's all about Christ, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Do you know why he's ending this 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 way? This statement on classic Christianity? Because authentic Christianity is absolutely focused on Christ and worshiping him. That is why he is writing all these things. To revive the soul of the servant Timothy. But really, he understands that this is going to be holy scripture. Meant to revive the souls of the saints of every generation. Including this very minute. You see, Christ has set us apart for his purposes. At Fellowship, our mission statement is to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. That word life is an acronym for loving God, investing in, his, uh, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world. Because at Fellowship, we want to be all about Christ because there's nothing else. And I'll just tell you from my own personal experience, 
I think most of you know that I wasn't a Christian uh, in high school or even the first part of college. I did, however, encounter genuine, authentic Christians back in high school. And then when I went to the University of Oregon, my very first day on campus, I was met by a girl on the basketball team who invited me to a, a Bible study and something called Campus Crusade for Christ. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I don't think I'm interested in that. But when I saw genuine Christianity being lived out in the lives of my peers, I said, I want what they've got. They have the real thing. Some of this, the superficial Christianity sort of stuff, at least, you know, kind of in high school and college, you know, where you're like, yeah, you can say the right things and you show up at church every once in a while, but your morals, your ethics and your drinking habits look far from Christ keeping at the center of your life. You know what I'm talking about? That was a huge turnoff for me. I, I like whatever they got. It's a disease. And I don't want that. But when I saw classic Christianity on display, there was a hunger in my heart because there's a void in every single person's life and that can only be filled by Christ. And when you see it on display, when you see examples, when you see people just really sold out and they, they find their joy in Christ, that is attractive to a world in need. And so the more we focus on Christ, the more we experience him changing our lives. And you know what 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 is, don't you? It's a return to the classic. It is classic Christianity. When you are growing in Christ, let me just tell you, when this, when this text becomes your life, let me tell you some things that happen. You develop discernment of the kind of church you want to be a part of. Yeah, I know it's kind of in vogue that it's all about marketing for churches and you just kind of put yourself out there like you're selling some sort of cell phone or computer or something at, a, at Walmart. But in actuality, what you want to do is exercise discernment. And this text helps you do that. So, for instance, there's a, a guy in our church, and he told me that uh, he had been a part of his church and denomination for 50 years. But when they started ordaining pastors who are homosexuals and bishops, he's like, that can't be right. Somewhere along the line, they had missed the teaching of scriptures yeah, they had read some readings. Folks kind of zoned out. But they never taught the scriptures. He said, that can't be right. You start exercising discernment, whether church is moving into liberalism or existentialism or they're defining their own reality and trying to find it in yourself. You exercise discernment when you start drinking in classic Christianity. Uh, let me give you something else that happens. You exercise discernment from what you read and what you hear. You don't just take it carte blanche just because you hear it on the radio or on TV or you find it at a bookstore somewhere. Okay? You actually read with your mind that has been saturated with the Word of God. But right now, like, notice there's this Facebook phenomenon where we're all trying to endorse homosexual marriage, right? And you would expect that the world, yeah, it's PC, they're trying to be hip, yeah, that's, that is kind of the cultural trend. But do you know that the trend in modern-day Christianity is lots of Christians are actually endorsing the exact same homosexual marriage because they want to be, oh, that looks cool, right? Let me tell you, trying to be PC and hip minus holiness is not classic Christianity. It is to love these people for them to see their need of really knowing who Christ is. If you take contaminated water and you mix it in with whatever you're drinking this afternoon, it's going to make you sick. Right? Same it is with our faith. 
Let me get to tell you something else that happens when we're drinking from classic Christianity. We have a real purpose in life. Our purpose is to glorify God, to see people come to truly know him as he is and to grow mature in him. That is what we're about. God wants his life on display through his people. This morning, I was just kind of quickly looking at the newspaper. I don't know if you saw this, but right here, some of our people are making the front page for good reasons. Okay. In case you're like, whoa, now what happened here? All right. Remember last week, there was this veteran, uh, his family got their home totally obliterated. He was injured. He's partially blind. And we just said, hey, Kendra Zadnick, realtor in our church, she's trying to help uh, get this guy into a home. It's a mess. It's a disaster. They don't have anything. Everything they own is gone. Could you help? And I heard that apparently in about 15, 20 minutes, lots of you in church said, hey, whatever I need, whatever you need to do. There's other people in our community, a few stores in town. And then just this week, they walked this man in with his family into their new home. Matt even gave the opening prayer to that. And I fellowship Bible church is even mentioned there. I'm like, I couldn't even sit down. I was like, yes, that is the church being the church. It is to be an example. It is living out the classic faith where you're actually concerned about the people in our community and the love of Christ is just being poured out from our hearts to the hearts of the people in need. When you see people investing in others and discipling them and bringing them to maturity, when you see people sharing the gospel, friends, that is classic Christianity on display. And let me just tell you one other thing. When you're drinking of classic Christianity, you find your joy in the risen Christ. And I tell you, there is no greater joy than knowing him. And once you've tasted life with Christ, substitutes won't work. Will they? You can, you can have a little red can and you can call it cola or whatever it is. It doesn't taste the same. You know what I'm saying? Like, eh, I don't think so. Because once you've tasted Christ and the joy of walking him with him and his word, substitutes will never work. Uh, in Paul's day, uh, one of the trades out there was to sell these vases and pots. And, you know, so they'd bake all this clay and they'd, uh, they'd have these vases. And, of course, if you're firing things in the kiln, uh, their little cracks can develop if you're not careful and you're not real good at what you're doing. And if you were not very scrupulous, what you do is you take wax and put it in those cracks there and, and you just sell it like it was the perfect real thing and no problems and no cracks. Of course, if you were smart, you could take that vase, that pot, and you could hold it up against the sun and sure enough, you could see where the cracks were. You know what they called a product that didn't have any cracks? They call it, it would be translated sincere, from the Latin word, sine, without serious, wax, without wax. That's what's needed. Classic Christianity, not playing games, finding our joy in Christ and not messing with the classic. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the joy it is to know Christ. And Father, I just would ask that you, according to the power of your spirit, might continue to shape and mold our lives Take away the dross of sin. You know our propensity to waywardness. and You know that we try to squeeze life out of things that simply can't give it. Lord, help us to find our satisfaction and joy in Jesus. Lord, would you continue this good work according to your grace, that we would be a body of believers and that Christians in our community and in our world 
would just be so in love with Jesus that people can't miss, in fact, will want even more, this Jesus who is the Lord and Savior of our life. So God, would you accomplish these things? We confess our sin. We cling to you for life and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.